The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number 209. Did I get it right? Bang on. Bang on. I studied. Tattooed on her hand and all. And uh, we are going to, we've had a lot of really great topics as of late, Holly. And I think we're going to continue on with uh, that today. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I love, as you know, interviewing my friends because it's nice to hear more of their story and dig Mm. deep. And I've got so many incredible people that I know. I'm just, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but um, Mm -hmm. it is uh, really exciting for us to have our guest on today because she's a speaker. She's an author. She is a pastor, but I remember her as being in charge of a whole bunch of rowdy youth. When I was at the meeting house in Oakville, she's come a long way. Natalie, thank you so much for being a part of YME Project today. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, so fun to be able to do this with you. You say that now, give it (laughs) one half hour, (laughs) you might think differently. She won't be my friend anymore. (laughs) Friendship over. Well, uh, I mean, from here, it's going to get a lot easier because the skill testing question is, Natalie, who are you and where did you come from? Gosh, I, as Holly said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Um, I pastor, I'm a lead pastor. She knew me as a youth pastor uh, many years ago now. And I'm a lead pastor at the Meeting House in Brantford, Ontario. And I'm a mom and a wife, uh, married to Sam and mom to Aaron, who's almost 10. And that makes my stomach like do all kinds of things as I say that and admit that. I'm originally from this like small, super small town um, in southwestern Ontario that had like two stop signs in it and maybe has a third one now since I've moved away. Um, It's called Moore Town. Like literally there should be more town, but there isn't. (laughs) Well, there is. Um, So I grew up there and grew up Presbyterian in the morning and Pentecostal at night in my church Mm. experience. So I was both very reserved and charismatic and uh, has led to all kinds of interesting things as I have continued to flesh out my, my theology and my ministry and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus in real life. How did you find yourself on the pathway to being a, a pastor? Because we do know that there's not a ton of female lead pastors not just Mm. in our country, but all over the place. So let's talk about that journey. As I reflect back, probably more of an interesting journey than I recognized as I was actually on the journey. (laughs) Um, I grew up in, as I said, Pentecostal at night, which also included my youth group experience. And in my youth group experience, I mean, I was in a Pentecostal church. Pentecostals are um, egalitarians. And so the idea of having a female pastor wasn't a weird thing, but um, realistically, we just didn't see them. While it was okay, uh, theologically in in that camp, it wasn't really broadly seen. And so in my youth experience, I had this awesome youth pastor named Joe Manifo, but if he's hearing this or you know him, don't let him know um, that he was that awesome because it was just go right to his head. Um, and uh, he put me and uh, four of my good friends on a leadership team when we were about 16, probably. And that development time, 16, 17 years of age was really formative and probably a lot more foundational in putting me on a trajectory to ministry than I actually realized at the time. 
for whatever reason, and I don't hold this against uh, Joe in any way, um, the, the guys that were on our leadership team um, were heading towards uh, Bible college and ministry, and they knew it, and that was really encouraged in them. And myself and the other female who was on that team, we, we weren't. Um, and for whatever mix of things, it just wasn't um, front of mind for us. We didn't recognize or realize that that would be a calling that would be something we were, we were being called to. And so I had this weird moment in my grade 12, or I, I did OAC, which is like the extra year in Ontario that used to exist of high school. At some point in one of those years, I was in our guidance counselor's office thinking about university, and there was this poster on the wall, and this is a silliest reason, but it's true. The poster was of like um, whitewater rafting, and it was for Redeemer University College. And I thought, that's a cool poster. <laughs> that's, that's real. That's true. Hey, marketing works, friends. Yeah. Marketing works. Yeah. And uh, I decided to check out Redeemer. Honestly, there's no good reason for me to have desired to go to and land at Redeemer, mm-hmm. other than like God leading the charge. Um, I had gotten like early acceptance and scholarships to other schools and um, to my parents, like deep sadness in their (laughs) financial pockets. uh, I decided to not go to those schools and go to Redeemer. And um, I mean, thankfully they were supportive Um, even though my dad got out like his, um, you know, his chart of all the financial pros and cons of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like like any good father. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I ended up at Redeemer, Redeemer University College, which is um, a reformed, um, like theologically reformed school. And um, it opened my eyes, I guess, to a lot of different things in regard to Christian education. I hadn't been in a Christian school um, growing up. That wasn't something that I was, um, I was aware of, but what didn't really recognize um, what Christian school could be. And so I, I did four years at Redeemer University College. I was an, an honors English major and really thought that I was actually going to go into journalism. I had uh, written for a daily newspaper in my final year of high school. I was the editor-in-chief of Redeemer's newspaper in my final year um, at Redeemer. And that's the trajectory I thought I was going to go on. It's, it's really easy right now to say that God had other plans, but again, <laughs> the, uh, I always say like he dropped breadcrumbs for me, like as I was going along, because I got to the end of my time at Redeemer and for whatever reason, I decided that I would apply to the most competitive journalism program in the country uh, to do a master's in journalism. And if I got in, that was the door opening there. And if I didn't, then I don't know, I was going to kind of flounder around and see what God had for me where I was. And I didn't get in. <laughs> and I was so sad. And, <laughs> and, you know, I lamented it all. And um, once I kind of picked myself up and dusted myself off, um, God just had opened a door right away. And it was not a door I expected at all. I went into um, a Christian high school and became um, an educational assistant for a young man who was um, autistic and had a 
fabulous time with him. And at the same time, I, I, I had been a basketball player. I believe it or not, I'm, I'm five foot four. Um, but I played basketball in university and uh, I became a coach and I coached at Redeemer uh, University College. And then I became the coach at the Christian high school that I was at. And I had this like aha moment <laughs> fairly early on there where I was coaching the girls basketball team and I love to do things with them. I mean, as a Christian school, so I would do devotional times with them and I would do like just life discipleship stuff. And I remember being like, God, I love this stuff, hmm. but I'm not a fan of the classroom. Um, and in like a funny way, a door opened for me to be, I was a grade nine French teacher there for a little while. And I had been asked to continue and teach more French. And I just couldn't envision being in the classroom, but I really wanted to be involved in discipling students. And it was a call from a friend. Uh, his name's Mikey. <laughs> Mikey <laughs> called me up and he was like, hey, there's this job in youth ministry at a church called the Meeting House. I actually was attending the Meeting House at the time. And he said, I think you should apply. And I was like, youth ministry, huh, kind of makes sense. So it felt like one of those breadcrumbs that God was dropping. When it comes to you and church and growing up, and, and you said that you had a really great uh, time for youth in that, do you think that that's the, a good foundation for your faith? Because if you maybe had a terrible youth group, you're like, yeah, you know what, maybe this isn't for me and maybe I'm just going to try something else. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably pretty true that my youth experience probably uh, sealed the deal um, for my experience to onward and forward in the church. I think um, my mom was an amazing discipler of me and my two older brothers. And I would say that she really brought us into the mix and ensured that we understood the importance of a faith foundation. But I do think it was my youth group experience that really made it put flesh on the bones and, and allowed me to enter into experiences where I was encountering Jesus and once you encounter Jesus, it's a lot harder to walk away. Let's talk about that encounter moment with Jesus, because growing up in a family where going to church is like, it's a part of what you do. It's not just your family culture, but it's, you know, your community. And it's easy for that just to be what you do, not who you are. So when was sure. that moment where you were like, you know what, this is the path I want to take. I want to follow Jesus. I can look back in probably a, a pretty compressed two years of my high school experience and go, wow, like God was firing on all cylinders in my life. That's a probably a horrible expression, but um, <laughs> things were really, things are really happening. Like, like I was seeing him, his work everywhere. Um, I remember being at a youth retreat um, at a camp called Muskoka Woods. Shout out to all our Muskoka Woods friends. Um, and I was in, we were in a boathouse, which is, I mean, just a beautiful spot to be in, having um, a musical worship night. And I remember, um, I don't, it just, there was a moment where I really closed my eyes and was kind of wrestling some things through with God. And I, because I had felt like all of my prayers were hitting the ceiling. You probably had that experience at some point in your life where it just feels like my prayers are going up. They're coming right down. There's no, it's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's going on? 
And I had this picture um, in my Pentecostal days, I would have said I had a vision. Um, but now I just say I had a picture in my mind of, of um, me sitting in, and I can, I can remember this to this day, me sitting in like, you know, those like plastic orange chairs that would be like, you would, you know, see them lining any hall, like any hall that you go into the old plastic orange chairs. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in one and there was another one across from me in, in this picture in my mind. And it was facing towards me. And I, it's hard to actually explain, but it's like, I knew, even though there was no physical person in the chair in the picture in my mind, I knew Jesus was in the chair. And as I was struggling with prayer, I ended up just talking to him. And that was a moment for me. I think I was probably about 15 years old that that really stuck. That really, um, that was one of those like, you know, building and building an altar moment and saying like, God was in this place. And yeah, throughout in that youth ministry time, I mean, as mentioned, I was on this youth ministry team and we were, um, you know, a medium-sized church. Um, we had a youth ministry of upwards of about 150 kids at one point. And we ended up, uh, our youth pastor, our wonderful, our wonderful youth pastor, uh, much like you, Holly, got called to go West and he moved out West. And, um, and we went for a season without a youth pastor. And that was actually a rubber hits the road time for myself and my peers. Um, as we were continuing on this youth ministry program, Um, for a lot of kids who were not churched, a lot of kids who hadn't grown up in church families, but were encountering Jesus, we experienced a lot of spiritual warfare, which for like a 16, 17 year old to try to like navigate some of this stuff was really big. Um, We had kids in crisis. I mean, all of the things you would ordinarily experience in your first one or two years of youth ministry, um, myself and my peers were kind of experiencing at about 17 years old. So it was a lot, it was a big learning curve, but it was really foundational in, in, in God leading me in this trajectory. At what point though, were you then like, okay, I, I'm in this, uh, this ministry thing. I really want to become, because there, and Holly had mentioned it at the beginning, there's not a lot of female lead pastors mm-hmm. and perhaps the, maybe we're on the start of more female lead pastors becoming a thing. But why were you like, mm, you know what I really want to do? I want to do something that's a little different. And I want to start leading church. In full, complete honesty, I had no desire to be a lead pastor. <laughs> there was literally nothing in me that wanted that. Um, I remember starting out in youth ministry and thinking I'm going to do youth ministry forever. Um, I really, you know, I, I couldn't stand you know, those people in the scenarios that would use youth ministry as a stepping stone towards something. I thought... Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in this. <laughs> and every time I, I plant my flag in a ground like that, where it's just me doing that, God's like, Oh, you think, uh, and, and, you know, he's chuckling, um, out of love. Um, and that was absolutely the case. Um, I became actually the curriculum pastor, um, at the meeting house out of youth ministry. So I served several years in youth ministry and then was kind of called into this new role as curriculum pastor, overseeing the development of curriculum for kids and youth from birth until the end of high school. And even in stepping in to do kids curriculum was really out of my comfort zone at that time. 
um, I've come to recognize that it's probably actually one of my sweetest spots to land in. But um, I remember <laughs> being asked to help on some kids curriculum and saying, I'll do it this time, but I'm not, this is not going to become a thing. And um, again, again, God was like, you're so cute. Uh, and so um, seven years of being curriculum pastor at the meeting house, I recognized and realized that I really wanted to help integrate what curriculum and kids and youth discipleship means and looks like into a full um, church body into like, you know, the fabric of, um, who we are as kind of like one location of a, of a church experience. Um, I missed deeply missed pastoral relational connections and actually, um, <laughs> in kind of taking the step to become a lead pastor, um, the pastor who was previously the lead pastor at our Brantford location, um, he was stepping down and I just inquired, I said, um, Hey, uh, I would love to maybe, you know, help out in an interim, maybe, um, 10 hours a week and just kind of help transition and bridge some things. And our leadership was like, yeah, that'd be great. That sounds really wonderful. And I really thought that it was going to be interim, but I really love the idea of being rooted in one place, um, mm for a really long time in curriculum and previously in youth ministry, I was in um, a cross regional um, capacity. So helping to oversee things in a variety of our locations and sites, as opposed to being like planted and rooted in one. And honestly, God is funny and he's continued to just drop breadcrumbs and the search kind of started for the lead pastor. And I just kind of woke up one day and realized how much I was in love with the community um, and how sad I would be to, to let go. And in tandem with that, my husband, uh, he just said to me, you just have to, you have to apply. You have to, you have to be willing to do this. And my husband's a long process oriented kind of thinker. I'm more of like a jump into kind of things and just figure them out. Um, so when he says things like that to me, I've come to realize that um, that's the spirit at work in and through him. And I just need to pay attention. Mm. Um, and so uh, lead pastor became a new um, part of my email signature. And <laughs> Um, you know, to, to be honest with you, something really cool about working at the meeting house through the years is that while we haven't had, you know, dozens and dozens of female lead pastors, we have had some, and we've had some really fabulous ones. Um, several years back, one individual for me that was a really strong mentor was Krista Hesselink. Um, she was a lead pastor for some time. She's also a phenomenal communicator and author as well. And, you know, just seeing her in that role and just seeing um, what could be uh, was really neat. It was really amazing to see. Um, I remember questioning uh, what it would be like to be a mother and a lead pastor and realizing that that is also a tricky thing. 
And um, again, a good friend of mine, Carmen Bookma, who's a lead pastor at our Oakville location. Um, she's, I mean, she's a powerhouse. She's full of wisdom and an awesome, an awesome woman. And, and she's a mother and she's been, been doing this well and leading by example of what it looks like and what, what it can look like to be a lead pastor and a mom. So all of those things, you know, really have helped, you know, once you see someone, um, you see someone like you doing something, you go, Oh, that could be something that I could do as well. And um, I, yeah, God just nudged me. And sometimes God pushes me a little more than a nudge. And I just, <laughs> I go, okay, <laughs> I see what you did there. Here I, am. I, got, I got two questions. The first is about um, seeing women in roles of leadership and mothers in roles of leadership because i'm all about representation i love when we get a chance to to see that for you personally how important was it to see that walked out well uh as a great example yeah um i think it was it was really important i remember actually being in youth ministry probably this would be over 10 years ago now um and i had just found out that i was pregnant with my daughter and I remember looking around and going, oh, there are, there are no moms that are pastors that I know. And I remember really looking. I, I really needed to see that. Um, there had been a couple who I knew uh, relatively well who, um, you know, and no judgment and bless, like, bless them in their endeavors. I know that everyone makes different decisions, but um, who, when they became pregnant as pastors, they... Um, opted to stay home with their children and not return to the ministry. Um, and so that's, that's all I had actually seen at that point. And, and it was hard. It was honestly hard. Cause I, I just needed to see the modeling of, of how do I do this? Like, how do you, how do you go away on a youth retreat and not bring your, you know, 14 month old, or do you bring them? And what does that look like? You know? Um, and so all of that became really important. And I did actually seek out um, women um, who were pastors and moms who were doing it. You know, it, it, it may not have been in close proximity to me, but that it, it was happening in the world. <laughs> yeah. Did you find or feel pressure that you thought, oh, now that I'm pregnant, maybe I should step down from this that I feel so called to do? You know what? I never actually did. And, and that's like, I think, massive kudos to my husband because um, he, he always just has really supported um, me in ministry. And because of the nature of the work that he does, my husband actually works in theater. Um, and actually, one time I was doing a wedding, I was officiating a wedding and somebody asked me what my husband did. And, and they said, theater and and the church that feels like polar opposites. And I thought that was very funny. Um, but his, his schedule has been flexible a lot of the years. And so um, me going back into full-time work was just much easier than it is for many people. Right. And so, no, I didn't feel pressure. In fact, I felt very um, free to be able to continue to resume ministry, recognizing that it was going to look very, very different. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember um, I was a youth pastor in Hamilton and living in Hamilton at the time. In fact, I, I lived about five minutes from where we met with our youth. And um, my daughter was probably about 
I don't know, 10 months old at the time. And I was at a, I was at a youth, you know, midweek youth gathering. And uh, my husband called and said that she had um, fallen off of something and really bumped her head and the ambulance was on its way. And I mean, any parent, you hear the ambulance, it's on its way. It's like, Oh, what do I do? So I had awesome youth leaders and I just said, Hey guys, I'm leaving. <laughs> Tag your it. Yeah. Um, and got to rush home and all was well and she was fine and everything was good. But you know, it, it, uh, it makes you think a lot more about, um, what your role is and the, the kind of competing realities of those roles as well. She's a, a pastor and a speaker and a mom and a wife. And then at some point we decided to add author to that as well, because you weren't doing enough. And then uh, you wrote raising disciples, uh, how to make faith matter for our kids. Then why write that? Um, <laughs> that's a question. Um, <laughs> You know what? I had been through the curriculum time doing a ton of writing. I was writing curriculum, but I was also writing um, articles for different magazines and blog posts and all of that sort of thing. And I was actually heading uh, down to the States to speak at a conference. Um, And as I was heading down there, I was contacted by a publisher to say, hey, we know you're coming to speak at this conference. We've actually been tracking and researching everything that you've posted and put online over the past That's several years. We've actually been like, stalking you. We have these photos of you. <laughs> and there's these little lines that attach things to it. <laughs> actually, that, I would have been really impressed if that was the case, but it was actually, it was a little bit shocking just because it, it just meant that somebody was paying attention to the stuff that I had been writing, which was really, I mean, really I don't know, encouraging. And so I met up with this publisher and she said, you know, we would love for you, um, the publishing company is called Herald Press. They said, you know, we would love for you to consider writing a book um, kind of in the vein of um, helping parents maybe uh, disciple their kids. I'm really paraphrasing, but um, (laughs) do you have any thoughts on what that might look like? And throughout the years of doing youth ministry and then curriculum writing, I had started to actually keep kind of like, honestly, what they were, they were um, pre-written emails so that when a parent asked me something, uh, because parents often ask very much the same questions over time, um, I would have a pre-written response and I could just kind of go, here it is, and personalize it. Um, Yes, like a form letter, um, but very personal. Um, And so I had kind of been collecting those writings through the years. And so that became kind of a natural launching point for um, the book. And it goes through every age and stage um, from birth until actually into the world of, you know, when your kids become parents kind of a kind of a zone and just looking at um, different ways that we shift and change and how to spiritually engage your kids at kind of every age and stage and in hopes of responding to some of those big pieces that we've heard over the last 10-15 years of um, why and how um, kids and youth and young adults are leaving the church and kind of responding to some of those things and being willing to engage them and kind of preemptively 
um, engage some of the big pieces that make leaving the church um, seem desirable through the years. Should we be worried about that? In that it seems this ongoing conversation that we have is, well, you got to talk to the youth. Yeah, you got to do it. You know, we get that a lot on radio too. Your music isn't talking to youth. They're going to never listen to your music and they're going to leave church and it's all your fault. Yes and no. Um, and I, maybe I would say no and yes. Um, I think the reality is that we're living in a time where, you know, a hundred years ago, or even less than that, you know, six, seven decades ago, people went to church because it was cultural. It didn't mean that they were Christ followers. And I'm not saying it meant that they weren't or, or, you know, but um, the reality was culture was so strong. It dictated that you went to church on a Sunday and you could have been the biggest atheist in how you live out the rest of your week but you were in church on a Sunday. Hmm. And so I think what we're seeing now is just a growing um, reality of more honest generations um, who are deciding whether or not to be within the context of church community. Now I say that, and I also think that, yes, we should worry. Um, I'm not worry, but I think we turn our worry into prayer and petition because I think in so many ways, um, especially in our current cultural contexts, um, man, social media is so powerful. And the messages that kids are getting everywhere are so powerful that we need to worry about them. We need to pull them in to the church communities that we're part of and let them know of their own value, their own worth, what God actually thinks about them. Um, we need to engage them in that way because let me tell you, <laughs> the entire rest of the world wants to tell them their value and their worth. Mm. Um, and it might not be in the very best ways. Um I have a phrase in my book that I use a lot when I'm speaking or sharing uh, in various contexts. I say, um, we're all being discipled into something, um, whether that is into the way of Jesus or into the way of um, social media culture or, um, you know, uh, it, it is just so very real and present for us um, today. And so yeah, I think we need to engage kids. Do I think that necessarily um, they want to be engaged through the things that we think they want to be engaged through? No, I think we actually probably don't really listen to them super well. Um, I don't think we're going to entertain our kids back into the church. I don't think we're going to, I, you know, the, the, what once was when I started youth ministry, you know, a big attractional event youth night was hitting the mark, right? We would do these awesome events and we would get heaps of kids and then they would return and then they'd come on retreats with us and we'd get to have deep spiritual conversations with them. And it was awesome. They are, they are being entertained to death um, in the rest of the world. What they're looking for truly, truly, I believe this is deep levels of authenticity. I think they're looking for people who they can be really, really themselves with, be really real with, be vulnerable with. And um, I think that's where the church 
can step in and and model that and invite uh, students into that. Um, and I, I dare say I have a lot of hope for um, my kids' generation, for Holly, your kids' generation. Johnny, I have no idea if you have kids, but... I thought you are just going to skip my kids. I don't the heck with your kids and their generation? <laughs> don't care about them? I mean, um, but I mean, you kind of did answer my next question because I remember uh, you know, hearing uh, adults before me saying, oh, you know, TV is going to ruin kids. And then my generation was video games are going to ruin kids. And now you hear social media is going to ruin kids. So then how as a church do we navigate all of that? And I think authenticity, like you had said, is, is probably a part of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, honestly, I don't think that social media is inherently evil. I don't, I don't. I actually think that I have seen some really incredible uses of social media, like just absolutely I mean, it's the art form of our day or the medium of our day for, for expression. And, and, and there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think God can work in and through that. Honestly, I had a friend, um, I don't know, probably five or six years ago, uh, hadn't connected with her in a long time, but we were Facebook friends. I'm old. So Facebook's my jam, you know, um, (laughs) I haven't, I haven't broken into TikTok yet. And I don't know. I don't know. I, think it's it's I don't know scary. what a TikTok is. It's fine. Oh, I don't even uh, know. It's what the clock does, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I had this friend reach out like so random, but um, she said, you know, I've watched your Facebook through the years and you've really helped me navigate uh, like on my faith journey through that. And to me, that was one of like the most encouraging and also just um, uh, kind of probably shocks of reality to go, wow, like people are watching for that, whatever that is, right? And um, to know that we can do that through social media, we can. Um, Helping kids know and recognize and realize that who they are online um, and who they are in person are actually the same people and mm. to help them live that level of um, integrity is important. Anyway, yes, social media, not going to be like the soul crusher killer, but has the potential to do damage, but has also the potential to do great things. I love talking about the next generation because so often at our generation, A, we're just realizing we're old. Like it's that light bulb <laughs> moment of what? That's not cool anymore. Great. And then... Yeah. <laughs> How do I connect with this generation that's telling me that my side part is not cool and I can't wear skinny jeans? So what do we do? How do we connect? How do we find that common ground? And I think every generation that's hit this point where they realize they're old goes to that same thing. So I don't think we're unique. But for you, what are some words of encouragement or tips you would give to uh, us exennials, as I'd like to say, who are, you know, stuck between generations and wondering how do I meaningfully connect with the next generation? Um, first of all, I have lovingly embraced the term geriatric millennial and I'm cool with it. I'm okay. cool. That's me. Fine. I'm not. Um, cool. Cool. To each its own. Um, yeah, I think, I think, okay. I don't know if this hundred percent answers your question, but as you, the, this is what kind of floated through my mind as you asked. I think there's an incredible beauty 
to the intergenerational approach that the church has has the capacity to take. Like, in what other sphere or realm do you have people of literally every generation gathering together for a specific purpose, um, you know, and wanting to actually kind of try to be family-ish together in a meaningful way. And I, I just think that there is a hunger and a craving for that. I remember as a youth pastor, <laughs> I took a group of girls uh, to a couple of cottages and I had, <laughs> I had my mom and my aunt come and the girls were told they could ask them anything. And, you know, 15, 16 year old girls are asking these, I'm going to say they're probably 50 year old women, doors were opened and it was a small enough group that there wasn't the fear of like peer scrutiny. Um, But there was also this willingness from my mom and my aunt to just be honest. And we had uh, the single most honest conversation I remember ever having with a group of students in youth ministry. You could just tell there was such encouragement on both sides of that coin too, right? From the kids and from, you know, I can say it because they're my mom, my aunt, these old ladies, you know, <laughs> which I am basically joining their ranks as, as we speak. But um, there's something so beautiful about that, about that honest, open, authentic exchange of where we're at in life. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, What did you do, you know, way back when about X, Y, and Z? And then how do I learn from your experience what it means to follow Jesus in in that way as well? And I, I just think there's so much potential for awesome kingdom wins when we are willing to sit down with people of different generations from our own. I started playing Fortnite so that my, me and my kids could connect. Mm-hmm. And I'm so terrible at Fortnite that they don't <laughs> want to play with me because I'm embarrassing. So now my son and I go for walks every night and that's our chance to connect. And it had nothing to do with Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it. it's meeting your kids where they're at and mm-hmm. Fortnite was not it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so can you do the dances? I heard there's like Fortnite dances. No. No. I tried. This, I, this I, geriatric body's not doing that. Me and my Holly? husband actually tried. A, I was so winded by after the second dance. And I also gave myself minor whiplash. So I oh. I, I was doing it wrong. <laughs> so after a couple after a couple of trips to the chiropractor, you were you were yeah, okay. I was I was good. I was limber again, but you know what? <laughs> I learned my lesson. The doc said no more Fortnite, Holly. <laughs> on the fortnight um we, we talk about in the hills and valleys of life uh where where you ask god that question why me why am i put into this situation in a, in a positive sometimes and in a negative can you think of i mean you talk about breadcrumbs you talk about authenticity can you think of a a why me moment in your life mm-hmm. uh yeah uh i think it was probably around the time when i was asked to write the book it was actually about two months before i was asked to write this book and I had been doing uh, kids and youth curriculum, and I had been really getting um, invested in the kids curriculum, but I was feeling like this, this, why me? Like, like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't like, 
I don't really feel this crazy level of engagement for kids in particular. And I really fought him on it. (laughs) It was a Jacob Russell's kind of moment. And probably for two months, uh, this went on. And finally, I just said, God, I'll do what you want me to do. So it, it was a, it was a why me in the sense of, I just don't feel like this connects with all of the most, the things that resonate in my heart the most. Um, but then once I said a full yes to him, it was so funny. Um, I don't, I don't know about the whole idea of, you know, when people say when, <laughs> when they're, um, having a near death experience, their whole life flashes before their eyes. Um, I don't know. There's no place in scripture. I get that jam, but, um, but I, I feel like in that time, as I was kind of wrestling through with God, I had this aha moment where I kind of looked back through some of my story and went, Oh, wow. I see what you did there. God, like my, my mom, my own mother, um, was an early childhood educator for like 45 years. And, you know, I literally grew up (laughs) being indoctrinated into what it is to, um, help teach small children. Um, you know, our, our whole lives consisted of, you know, this, the songs that you sing with little kids and repetition and stories and, And then, you know, kind of moving on through that, I was a camp counselor and I worked with kids in that capacity and I loved it. And just kind of like the whole way through looking back and going, oh man, God's actually placed a a love and a care for kids in my heart for a really long time. And I just kind of fought against it. And so when I said like, okay, God, (laughs) I'm in, Uh, it was, it was just a couple, I'm going to say couple of weeks later that I got contacted to write a book and it was kind of like I again I I know that God is comical because it was this book about discipling your kids (laughs) and and what that all can look like and again I probably in that time had a whiny moment because I felt like you know I've been in ministry for about 15 years but that's not that long you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, at that point, I had been a parent for, you know, six and a half, seven years. That's not that long. You know, I didn't have all of this vast knowledge and wisdom that I felt like made me an expert in any way, shape or form. But I also realized that I have been surrounded by this community of very beautiful, wonderful, wonderful people who in their own ways and in their own spheres have provided expertise that have helped shape and form me. And so my why me moment became like, why God, why did you let me be the one to kind of be the voice on behalf of this community? And I still don't fully know other than to say that I know God's love is really huge. (laughs) And um, he knew the desire of my heart. Um, I haven't said this yet, but when I was six years old, I don't know if you guys had these things, but every year um, for school, my mom would make us fill out like teacher's name, best friends, your favorite activity and all that kind of stuff. When I grow up, I want to be. And every year from first grade all the way through, I wrote author. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be an author. And I also wanted to be an Olympic sprinter, but let's be real. Some (laughs) dreams just have to die, you know, (laughs) but 
I, I will never forget that 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 had been and, and had continued to be, but really I'd put it on the mental back burner, you know, um, part of the desire of my heart was to write. And so I think God, um, God, God threw me that one <laughs> and it was nice. It was lovely. Well, she's five foot four with a sweet jump shot at Natalie Frisk on uh, all socials at nataliefrisk.com. Uh, Raising Disciples, How to Make Faith Matter for Our Kids, which is available now. You will not see her on TikTok, but we appreciate you, Natalie, for taking some time and hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was a blast. Shout out and a big thank you again to Natalie for taking some time. And it's a conversation that we always need to have. And that's talking about and with our kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my kids are still fairly young, so I'm just trying to glean as much as I can from you who have kids a bit older so that uh, I can learn. And it's important because I think we all have responsibility to reach out to the next generation and connect one way or another. What I appreciate, and this has been brought up a number of different times lately, Holly, is that word authenticity. And that's the way that we are going to be able to connect with our kids, with the youth, is just being who we are, being authentic and really caring about what they're into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't mean you have to learn all the games or the dances that they know, but connecting can be so much more than just doing. It's those chiropractor moments. (laughs) I know, right? Why did I try to do that dance? Oh, my neck. Uh, been there but uh thank you to everyone who has uh reached out to us who continues to reach out to us who listens uh places like apple podcast and spotify emailing us at whymeproject at outlook.com and all of our socials too holly yeah absolutely please like please share please rate review and you can always check us out at faithstrongtoday.com yeah.